the suit is more well endowed than the mastodon. It's the Adam Sank Show on Derek and Romaine 2.0. And for the next hour, you're in the ass. And now, the one, the only, Adam Sank! Bottom. 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 Can you do it, Ryan? Bottom. It's lower than that. Bottom. 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 Yes. <laughs> this is Adam Sank, and welcome to the ass. You're in the ass again. Today is Sunday, November 19th. We are not live, but we are alive. We are alive. We are coming at you from the Derek and Romaine studio. Uh, Katie is with us, uh, as she is most of the time. Uh, the fabulous Gwen has returned to the show after a, a not-so-brief trip to Paris. And JB is here, ladies and gentlemen, for the very last time. Oh. I'm very, very sad to say that JB is uh, moving onward and upward after how fucking many months has he been here? It feels like he's not on mic right now, but I feel like JB's been here for at least three or four months. He's been in a huge part of this show, and I will miss him terribly. But it is an internship program, and old interns move out and new interns move in. Here's JB on mic to tell us more about that. What are you going to be doing now, JB? He's just uh, futzing around with his headphones here. That's okay. Hi. Yeah, I've been here for like, I think, five, yeah, five months. Five months. Yeah. And what's next? Uh, It's a great question. It's a great question. Um, I'm trying. I'm well, I'm, I like being a producer, so I'm going to see if I can find an actual producing job in radio and stick with that and see what and see what happens with there. So, I don't know. The whole world's my oyster, and I'm ready to eat. All right, honey. Well, I think you are fabulous at uh, at what you do, and I have a feeling that you'll be good at anything that you try to do. So I try. Uh, but we will miss you, both both on the air oh and God. behind the scenes, working the board like a pro. I'm going to miss you, too. Like this was this has been the best thing ever. I'm like, so glad. Yeah. Well, um, this first story is dedicated to you. Uh, oh, I should also mention. <laughs> what about me? <laughs> I should mention who my co-host is today. How rude of me! So rude. Once again, joining us in studio, America's favorite slut, <laughs> Ryan Frostig, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. There we go. There's the studio audience. I'm back. The seat's still warm. How's your week been, Ryan? Oh, fabulous. Yes. Just slutty and slutting it up. We should mention, by the way, that in my opinion, the Derek and Romaine studio has never been at a more perfect temperature. I'm I'm happy with it. It's comfortable. Ryan and I are in t-shirts. Usually I'm sweating profusely. We had a lot of sweaty days in Mm -hmm. this studio, but it's now bone-chillingly cold. Sure is. (laughs) Bone. Bone. (laughs) Uh, here in New York City and uh, the studio is heated and earlier uh, JB and Katie were bitching about how cold they were but I think it's just perfect I agree sipping on my wine I'm double fisting with the the shitty wine which is a combination of like three leftover bottles of wine from my fridge we're getting real ghetto with it today because waste not want not honey but as I was saying this first story I think JB will appreciate because it's about the actor Charlie Hunnam Mm. Do you know who that is, Ryan? I looked him up. He's hot. He's like, I think, the hottest actor currently who's out there. Charlie Hunnam, you may recognize from the series Vikings. He was like the lead Viking. He's also uh, starring in the feature film King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. He's this like 
blonde, blue-eyed British actor who, in the Viking series, he had a man bun, and he's the only guy I've ever seen with a man bun that I want inside me. Wow. Because those man buns don't usually do it for me, but... They do it for me. God. Anyway, the story is, he was being interviewed, and he was asked what nickname he would give himself by combining a unique physical characteristic with his dad's name. It's a weird question. Super weird. (laughs) He was asked, what nickname would you give yourself by combining your dad's first name with a unique characteristic of yours? And he said, I'd be 12-inch cock Billy. Oh, girl. According to Charlie Hunnam, Charlie Hunnam has a 12-inch cock. Charlie Hunnam. Thank you. That's a that's a play on words. And may I just say, I would want Charlie Hunnam to fuck me if he had a six-inch cock. Yeah. 12 that, inches no. is really just gilding the lily. That's not going anywhere near my butthole. I mean, I think I would take half of it. Sure. And be real happy. And I would try to fit the whole thing in my mouth. But, I mean, who's got a 12-inch cock, really? That's like, you know, freak show. And if you do, I'm so sorry, because there are very few people that I know that... See, I know a lot who will definitely (laughs) try their hardest. Yeah, Um, Charlie Hunnam also talked about his man crush, which is what you call it when a straight guy like pretends to want another guy. He has a man crush on David Beckham. Yeah, another British hottie who makes a brief cameo in the King Arthur film. Um, So yes, I just needed to that. That's our lead story today: is that Charlie Hunnam may have a twelve-inch cock. Or at least just a real big one. I mean, he may have been exaggerating a little bit. But also, 12 inches and what's the, you know, what's the girth? I mean, what's the... Right. That's a... I mean, 12 by 1? Yeah, because... Or 12 by 8. What kind of sword are we working with here? Thank you. And I I happen to prefer girth to length. Right. Uh, JB, you wanted to say something about Charlie My whole thing is, I I don't see any evidence of of the hungage of penis. Like there, there's no, there's no, there's none of this. There's. You mean when you look at him in pants? Yeah, when I look at him in pants or in his regular clothes. Did you just do a search for this? I've, I, I did the search prior. One, uh, this is before I found the fifty-year-old guy with the eighteen-inch penis. Before I <laughs> found him, the, that man's actual. You see everything. Yeah, you see it. Yeah. yeah. It, earlier, uh, when before we were on the air, JB was showing us pictures of this guy from Mexico who has like a three-foot-long penis, and yes, yeah. you can see that in his pants, but most guys don't wear the kind of pants they don't wear the kind of pants that would show off no i fucked a guy with 11 inch dick and he was soft and you can still see it like those, those penises you are see there his- any pictures of charlie hunnam online where he's like in form-fitting pants he was in swim he was like in, in the beach yeah and it just looked like a regular bolt but also some people are growers I've seen a dick grow from one inch to eight inches. It's like it's a beautiful it's a, thing. It's magic. I was gonna say I fucked a guy once who was like one inch, one inch soft, but like at least five hard. I mean, that's a nice uh, transition. Yeah. I'm. That's kind of like me, by the way. My dick is probably one to two inches soft <laughs> most days, especially if it's cold. But and some people like fully that. erect. Sometimes I'm like a good really six, small. six and a half. Same. On Viagra, I can maybe get to seven. Here's to the average size penis. Thank you. <laughs> But speaking of oversized penises, this is a story that actually came out like a month ago, and every week I put it on the lineup, and then we just never get to it. So I want to get to it, um, because it's a weird story. Ryan, did you ever watch the movie Boogie Nights? Uh, Yeah, I think so. So Mark Wahlberg, star of Boogie Nights, the movie that really put him on the map as a serious actor, 
uh, changed the way everyone felt about him because before that he had kind of been a joke. He was Marky Mark yeah. and he had the body and Mike he was Collins. in a lot of shitty films. But Boogie Nights was an incredible film and he, and I don't know that he was nominated for an Oscar. He should have been, but he was nominated for a lot of other awards and it, it made him an A-list superstar. Um, Marky Mark now says that he regrets doing Boogie Nights and hopes that God forgives him for it. Whoa. Mark was talking to an audience and he said when he gets to the gates of heaven, he'll ask God if he's been forgiven for Boogie Nights and he thinks God will probably say, er, I don't forgive Paul Thomas Anderson for casting your ass. Uh, it's a it's a weird story. Mark Wahlberg is a, a devout Catholic. He goes to church every single day. And you know he has this past when he was a teenager, he was like a juvenile delinquent. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he engaged in was a vicious racist attack on two men uh, that I believe left one of them blind or nearly blind. But the thing he regrets is Boogie Nights. <laughs> Naturally. Just to remind you of how fabulous Boogie Nights is, I pulled a clip. And what I love about this clip is that he sounds like Andy Samberg's impersonation of him on Saturday Night Live. That that skit when Andy Andy Samberg's like, hey, chicken, how's your mother? Say hi to your mother for me. That's what he sounds like in this clip. Hit it. No. Hey, Jack. I'm ready to shoot now. My cock is ready. I want to fuck. Let's go. 20 minutes. I want to fuck. Who's it going to be? What? Who do you want to start fucking, me or him? Me? What? Shut up, okay? I didn't do anything to you. What? You're not even an actor, man. You got no business being here. You're not a I'll fucking actor. Yes, I am. No, no, no. I'm an actor, man. I'm a real fucking Shut actor. Shut up. No. So Mark Wahlberg apparently would not do uh, that kind of role again, which again was a fabulous role and a yeah. fabulous performance. Um, after he originally came out with that statement or after that statement was made public, he clarified to People Magazine... He says, quote, I was sitting, I was sitting in front of a couple thousand kids <laughs> talking about and trying to encourage them to come back to their faith. And I was just saying that I just hope he has a sense of humor because I made some decisions that may not be okay with him. <laughs> How's your mother? <laughs> Meanwhile, he's now starring in Daddy's Home 2, which is hardly, you know. I could see that movie. Pure. <laughs> It's not that kind of daddy. Oh, damn. Uh, the actor added that the conversation began with a question of uh, whether he would take a similar type of role now, but he has to take his family, his wife, Rhea Durham, and their four children into consideration. Quote, I don't know if uh, my wife would be comfortable with that. Whatever. I mean, come on. Fuck like you, you're Mark Wahlberg. It's like, that's your job. You play different characters, and I mean, I don't know. I... Right, I mean, he's played killers, too. Right. Does he not regret that? And Is being a porn star worse than being a murderer? And like you said, he has this, you know, delinquent background, so it seems like he's done a few... He's done some shit. Meanwhile, the uh, clothing company Machino... Am I saying it right, Ryan? Yeah. Machino is selling a $730 dress that is nothing more than a dry cleaning bag. Here's a picture Girl. of the dress, everyone. And I will tweet it uh, so you can see. Right now. It's literally a dry cleaning bag. It's a plastic sheet. <laughs> and the shoulders, I have to say, are kind of cute. The neck and shoulders are like the, the, the white part that goes over the hanger that says, we love our customers that uh, you see on every dry cleaning hanger. But it's literally just a plastic bag. How much? $730. Oh. Well, I mean, Balenciaga is, they just put out skirts that are 
car mats. And before that, they had a $2,000 bag that was literally an Ikea bag. Like, it looked like one of those big shopping bags from Ikea. Yeah. I guess that's I just think they're, they're trying to see, like, how much shit they can pull before someone's like, bitch. I feel this all started with Kanye's wardrobe. I don't know if you guys remember this a couple of years ago. When Easy. He was just, I don't know what it's called, but it, like they all look like homeless people. Yeah, it was Yeezy. Holes. It was um, like he did Yeezy Collection One, Collection Two, and or year, Season One, Season Two, Season Three. I think it's done now. But I feel like that's where like it started from. And I was like, oh, so looking like homeless person and paying homeless person prices is totally chic right now. Well, even in the '90s, there was a Japanese designer. I can't remember her name. Who did a collection that was basically inspired by. Um, homeless women, bag women, and they were just these sort of canvas uh, mumus, these canvas tents that that the models were wearing down the runway. So this has happened before, but this transparent dress was part of Machino's Autumn Winter 2017 collection. The dress, or sheer cape overlay, as it's being described, was worn by model Stella Maxwell over a black full-length gown. You can't wear it without something underneath it. It's literally just plastic. Well, you could, but then, you know, you'd be... Yeah, if you, if you wanted to show your titties and your cooch. Which, I mean, I'd wear it. Hey. With, with just the titties and the cooch? Absolutely. Good or for you, like Gwen. A, like get some pasties and, you know. It's currently on sale at Brown's Fashion. The website describes the garment as a slip-on sleeveless design made from a see-through polyester reused plastic bag and it also notes that the dress should not be washed or dry cleaned <laughs> very sensible how's that for irony but you can hose it down after you've worn it if it doesn't rip i feel like i'd wear it once and it would rip immediately rip. you go to a party and you know that's ridiculous know. um meanwhile i saw this thing that caught my eye and it's um these are everyday habits that that any of us can do that could lead us to being a millionaire. They interviewed millionaires and they said, like, what do you do? What are some of your everyday habits? And uh, Ryan Frostig, I know you'll have interest in this because I'm going to um, spill the tea on Ryan here. Oh, boy. He's not a millionaire. No. Researcher Randall Bell studied the habits of the rich and found that, for instance, if you make your bed every morning, you are 206% more likely to become a millionaire. Listen. I couldn't tell you when the last time I made my bed was. I mean, how about just changing your sheets? Yeah, can't tell you. Yeah, uh, my my habits are are all making me not be a millionaire. I am <laughs> keeping you from keeping me riches. from being. Who in this room makes your bed every single day? I don't. Oh, our our guest, who's not on the air yet, is raising her hand, but she's like a mom in the suburbs. Katie, you don't. JB, Gwen, I certainly don't. For several years of my life, I haven't even had a bed. Well, there you go. So, I mean, that makes it easier, I feel, because then there's nothing to make. Um, another thing that the rich do is that they read 30 minutes or more a day. And this is the part that's going to kill you. They wake up three hours before their workday officially begins. Oh, hell no. That's some bullshit. I barely wake up like a, a minute before my workday starts. I'd have to wake up at, uh, well, actually, so my workday starts at 9 I get up at 6.45, but that's because yeah. it, it takes me that long to eat breakfast, walk the dog, shower, and get to work. It's not like I'm sitting around. If I didn't have to do all that shit, there's no way I'd wake up that early. I uh, I usually just roll out of bed. Millionaires also uh, write to-do lists. They control their emotions. 
<laughs> What's that? <laughs> they smile at their neighbors. They tend to be friendly people. They talk less and listen more. So that rules me right out. Mm. And here's where I really knew I would never be a millionaire. Millionaires do not engage in gossip on the job. Oh. <laughs> What's the fun? What right? What else like is there to, to do at work if you're not going to these people? Yeah. I mean that's literally that would be the one thing on the list I could never do is not gossip. I'm at peace with the fact that I most likely will not be a millionaire, but hey, I'll I'll I think you could be. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You're talented and brilliant Reach and for this and you're only, tw- listen, what are you, 26? Uh, yeah. You got your whole life to make $1 million? That's not even that much nowadays. You'll well, do it. All right. If you say so. Or at least you'll be a half millionaire. Or I could just meet a millionaire. I mean, I think that's your plan. That's more likely. I don't know. You just want to marry the rich daddy. Yeah. Like our guest last week, Rick Crome. I don't know how rich he is, but he's a daddy. Eh, I could get it. Yeah. Meanwhile, Grinder went down. A couple of weeks back, in in the UK, the US, throughout Europe and Australia, uh, Grinder went down at 7 a.m. Eastern time on the, let's see, I think it was the 9th of November, and the internet freaked out. Here were some of the things that people tweeted. This is Jack Penabianco. Is Grinder down for everyone or just me? Hashtag freaking out. <laughs> This from feeding my wolf. Guys, mm. Grinder is offline. Where else am I going to get faceless people sending me dick pics with a million question marks if I don't respond? <laughs> Jay says 98 wrote, "Is anyone else's grinder down?" OMG, reply to me g- reply to me gays ASAP. I'm anxious. Potential dick could be waiting. <laughs> <laughs> G Manalutis wrote, "Grinder was down, so I reinstalled it and I'm pretty sure I've lost all my messages. Oh my god, disaster." Okay, but people are acting like Grinder, like it's like I don't know, 2010 or 11, whenever Grinder came out. There are so many apps you can get dick. Of course, but for some people, Grinder is either either their only one or the one they use the most. You know, every sure. every sex addict has their one app I that's know. their favorite. Adam underscore Albassian wrote, "When I said I wanted someone to go down on me, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect Grinder to take it literally by not working anymore." I think he wins the internet. That was good. On that one. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's any other funny ones. Dick Garieppi wrote, Grinder is down. This could be the very end of queer culture as we know it. Find a twink and hold them tight. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hashtag Grinder down. I do love funny people on social media. Yeah. They keep things... Uh light in the world yes ryan about a month ago when we had kevin israel and mike sicoli on the show <clears throat> beautiful straight guy comedians mm-hmm. i meant to do this story and uh it, it we just i told i spaced i didn't do it and it's been sitting in my folder it's ever so since hot. then this was something that was in the advocate and at first i thought it was going to be really fun and now i just think it's stupid so we're going to go through it very quickly but it's 17 ways to tell that your straight friend is gay curious all right now, I always thought Kevin Israel was gay curious, but as we uh, mentioned on last week's show, he is now engaged to his female fiance. Anyway, here are 17 ways to tell your straight friend is gay curious, according to The Advocate. He asks gay sex questions. I feel like 
they all, all straight guys ask yeah. their gay friends that. Um, he asks which gay label he'd fit in: twink, bear, etc. I do. That is something I've noticed. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel like, you know, there are no labels within the heterosexual community. So right, you're just a dude. Yeah, you're just a straight guy. So they they're interested in that. I don't think that means that they like no want the gay sex. He frequents the gay gym. What gym isn't gay? I mean, especially in New that's York the City. Real question. There is not a single gym in New York City where you don't walk into the steam room and someone will blow you if you want them to. Like it's just a gym culture is gay. And if it's not happening at your gym, then you need a new gym. Well, it does not happening at my gym because we don't have steam room at Planet mm. Fitness, but that's what you get for ten dollars a month. <laughs> right. <clears throat> it's that part of the show where my throat starts to shut down. Hold on. Drink the water. Talk about your gym, Ryan. Well, uh, my gym, I don't really like, I don't like carrying lots of stuff with me. I mean, I usually just want to, first of all, I'm barely going to the gym. So that's right there. You know, it's not, sex is not happening for me at the gym. But if it was like, I don't know, I don't really take, you don't really shower there. So. Well, you don't shower, period. That's right, because I'm a piggy. He's a little... skanky pig. Yeah. Um, you can tell your straight friend is gay curious <clears throat> if his favorite music playlists include Depeche Mode and Britney Spears. That's just stupid. Yeah. Depeche Britney Mode? Spears. I don't think anyone really has Britney Spears on their fucking playlist well, at this point. Excuse you. Oh, Gwen is yeah, upset. You're going to get some angry, angry hate mail. Gwen, would that. you like to respond to that? I've actually been on a Britney Spears kick like the last couple of weeks because I like rediscovered her music for some reason. And she's kind of amazing. Is she? Like, yes. Mm. Toxic yes. is one of the best pop songs of all time. Of all time. I don't think I've ever loved a Britney Spears song. Well, but she's a survivor. I'll give her that. Um, some of these are so stupid. He hugs you, he huh. gives you that look. He listens attentively when you talk about dating slash hookups slash relationships. I think that's just a good friend. Yeah. This list is canceled. Um, he repeatedly tries to talk one-on-one with you, but never with others present. I haven't really experienced that ever. He asks what kind of porn you watch. That's a little gay. Yeah. Why do you want to know? I mean, why would a straight guy want to know that? He asks if you're a top or a bottom. Mm. Or or and you say, I'm verse. And then the dumbest one on this list is he's an extreme right-wing homophobe. Well, then he's not your friend. <laughs> yeah, then you probably won't be hanging out with why him. Why would you fucking have a friend who's an extreme right-wing homophobe? Although I do agree they're all gay. Yeah. There was a study years ago. They, uh, they took like a thousand college-age guys and they strapped like a metal sensor to their penis and they had them watch gay porn uh-huh. and before they did that they had them fill out a survey to to um sort of evaluate their attitudes toward gay people and the ones that were the most homophobic those dicks those were the dicks that got the hardest when the gay porn was playing that's a beautiful thing if the every fucking homophobe just came out <laughs> the world would be a better place and the world Sing it, Ryan. And the world. Yes. Meanwhile, in Edgewater, Florida, the Bella Vista Baptist Church is apologizing after they put up a sign that said, Forgiveness is swallowing when you want to spit. (laughs) Come on, swallowing. After receiving quite a bit of unwanted attention 
the church apologized. Quote, we apologize if anyone was offended, adding that the sign was completely innocent and intended as encouragement to forgive. The sign had drawn mixed reactions from people. Most found it hilarious. Others, however, have chastised those making fun of its sexual undertones. Quote, anyone who finds that offensive has their minds in the gutter. A commenter named Gordon Martin wrote on the News 6 TV blog in Florida. Obviously, someone was very naive and just didn't think it through very well. Nobody is swallowing Gordon Martin's load. Nobody. Forgiveness is swallowing when you want to spit. It's kind of beautiful in a way. I, I think so, too. I don't think that's... <laughs> exactly. I don't think it's for, I don't think it's forgiveness so much as just being a really good partner. Yeah. And, you know, when you swallow your partner's load and it's not the tastiest, if you really love them, act. You just, you well, know... Yeah, you can let them know you've got some funky spunk and you need to change your diet. Mine is delicious because I'm vegan. <laughs> it's all natural. Sure. <clears throat> and speaking of beef, an 800-pound heifer made a big splash when it was found in a North Carolina family swimming pool. This happened in Newton, North Carolina. Catawba County Chief Animal Control Officer Jenna Arnsolt told news outlets that the agency received a 911 call Wednesday morning and arrived to find the young female bovine defiantly staring from inside a pool in the town of Newton. The pool's owner, Bert Thornburg, <laughs> says he looked out the door and thought something had fallen into the pool. He said he start. this is the crazy part. He said he started ripping off the cover and uncovered the cow. Huh? I don't understand this. The cow somehow got into the pool underneath the pool cover. Damn. Authorities say a team managed to lasso the horns and pull the cow from the pool. The cow was believed to have been in the pool for two hours or more. Authorities believe the cow was grazing and walked across the pool cover thinking it was solid. So I guess it was a soft cover and it collapsed and then the cow sort of got underneath right. it. But it's amazing the cow didn't drown, especially after two hours. It's a long time. <laughs> And also, I'm thinking it must have been hot that day in North Carolina. Go for a little dip. Meanwhile, in uh, Kansas City, a detective had to end an interview with a suspect after the suspect kept farting loudly. (laughs) The flatulence stopped the police interrogation. Uh, Sean Sykes was charged uh, with possession and intent to sell cocaine, which does make you gassy, Mm. and uh, also for possessing three firearms, two of which were reported stolen. Sykes was in a car that police searched and found a backpack that contained various drugs and two handguns. Um, In the report of the interview, the detective wrote that when asked about his address, Mr. Sykes leaned to one side of his chair and released a loud fart before answering with his address. That the detective wrote the detective wrote, Mr. Sykes continued to be flatulent and I ended the interview. Huh. I mean that's one way to handle your police interview. Yeah, I mean I, that is I'm actually I'm quite impressed. And um You can't fart on command? I can't and you know my farts are pretty bad. 
I've never actually been around you when you let one out that I noticed. Well, Scott I mean, Hernandez is the worst. Really? Oh my God, his are lethal. My um, SBDs, silent but deadlies. Oh, those are the worst. Pretty bad. Once so, again, sorry. Go ahead, JB. Oh, quick question: Where did this happen again? Kansas City. Kansas City. Uh, so clearly, it wasn't a black person because they would not let him go. Just because he was farting. That's actually true. They didn't let him go. They just suspended the interview. I don't think that was like his get out of jail free. JB. I, I feel like just have <clears throat> jail free card. Low key, high key. But your point is well taken. You guys, it is time now to come to our live guest segment. And I am very, very excited because she's one of my oldest friends in comedy. Robin Fox and I met when we were both starting out. And in the years since, she has headlined all over the Northeast and beyond. In 2012, she was the grand prize winner of the prestigious Ladies of Laughter competition here in New York, and that led to a spot on Nick Mom's Night Out. Take a listen. You know, I find most moms are liars. I find they lie. You know, you ask a mom, do you have a favorite, like I ask my friends, and they go, no, I love them all the same. And that's crap. I know it's crap, because I have kids, and I have a favorite. Yes, I do. I'm not ashamed to admit it. The one that doesn't live with me anymore. She's my favorite. She's awesome. I can't get enough of her not being there. It's wonderful. It's fabulous, yeah. She goes to New York University, New York University. Oh yeah, $50,000 worth of yay. $50,000 for New York University. The first time I got the bill, I thought it was a ransom note. We need $50,000 for your daughter. Keep her. Let me know how that works out for you. That'd be terrific, yeah. You know, I wish I could be more enthused, but she's studying art yeah no really i would have been better off buying her clear shoes and a pole oh don't judge me you're judging me don't judge me those girls make a lot of money yeah not that i could ever do that who can dance around in high heels for hours on end she's looking at me like there's other reasons why you're not a stripper trust me do you have a i make a great lap dancer yeah because you get to sit Please welcome to the ass, my dear friend and the mother of all stand-up comics, Robin Fox. Come on. Hi, everybody. Robin. You gave me that, the mother of all comedians. I did. I named you that. (laughs) Oh, there's our studio audience. They're a little little late. I named you that um, one of the first times we ever performed together. At therapy. Do you remember how we actually met? Because I don't. I do. I stalked you. <laughs> no. You were on the comedy soapbox and you wrote something that was just very interesting to me and I commented on it and you wrote back and then what happened was I posted that I was going to be at Don't Tell Mama and you showed up as a surprise to me and that was the first time I ever saw you face to face. Oh, right. It was really sweet. Yeah, back in the day, this is like early 2000s, there 2003. was this website called Comedy Soapbox. It, it, I think it still exists, but this was pre-Facebook and even pre-MySpace, and Robin and I and dozens of other comedians were on that site every single day. And it was like a Facebook, but just for comedians. Yeah, you blogged. I loved your writing. I, I, I loved your long form. Now you kind of, both of us have given up the blogging. It, it blogging is too f- much fucking work. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it used to be my job. I would sit down like and, you know, write this big story of my life or something that had happened. And then you'd put it up for the comments because that was, you know, the whole point of it to see what other people in comedy thought. Because you worked in a vacuum a lot of the times. Right. And uh, 
and I connected to you. And the funniest thing that ever happened with me, with you and me is when we performed, um, I went to see you perform at Don't Tell Mama, and I'm sitting in the audience, and you start talking about growing up in Summit, New Jersey, and your father, Lewis Sank, and I fell off the chair because... Adam's dad was my pediatrician <laughs> for oh my, my kids. God. And I completely, I mean, I had met you. I remember meeting you and Trixie, your dog, and the whole, I mean, it was just crazy. I knew you were like 16 with the first time I met you. And what's really crazy is that I, my last name is Sank, which is one of the most unusual names in the world and I look exactly like my father but you know the, so the fact doctor. that you had never put it together <laughs> that like and, and you knew I was from Jersey I fell right off I was at Don't Tell Mom I literally fell off the chair laughing so hard that you were that boy who answered the door that little I, gay 16 year old with so his dog sweet. Trixie yeah it was just so funny Robin you uh, started in stand up I mean, we both started late, actually. Ancient. I started at 33. You were, were you 40 yet? I, I was 40, yeah. And you know what's crazy? People go, oh, you started late. Well, Joan Rivers started late. I started like 10 years after Joan Rivers. Yeah. Oh, you started late. Phyllis Diller started late. I started like four years later than Joan Rivers. <laughs> I started like, I was lucky I wasn't dead when I started, to be clear. Yeah. yeah, I started late. I was 43, I think. But what's interesting is you had been writing material just for yourself <laughs> since the 70s. You found the notebook, remember? Yeah. Robin showed me this notebook. On a road trip we did. All these little handwritten notes in one of those little school ledgers. And she had just been writing jokes for 20 years. For no reason. For no reason. And I did the same thing in my head. I never wrote them down, but I had things in my head that I thought, if I ever get on stage, I'm going to tell these stories. And I didn't know... I didn't know what it was for. I didn't know why I was doing it. Did you know at the time, like, I'm going to be a comedian someday? I remember watching Toadie Fields on the Mike Douglas show saying, oh, that would be the most one. She was a comedian, a little chubby Jewish lady that was just so authentic and real and silly. Had one leg. No, that she died with one leg, but she had one. She had a, two legs most of her life. She uh, wanted to get uh, plastic surgery for her daughter's bat mitzvah and fucked up her whole life. That's how she lost the leg? She lost her leg through diabetes from having this. Yeah, she wound up dying from the surgery. It was awful. She was a severe diabetic. But But she she kept going. Like, she performed until the very end not that much really she, no no she she was really she i remember she came on the mike douglas show once with a from fredericks of hollywood a fake tuchus a fake rear end that pants that you put on to give you and she thought this was the funniest thing because she had like a humongous ass and she was like <laughs> you know it, it was her one thing that drew drew men to, to her yeah and now they were going to make fake ones and she was outraged by the whole right. thing and i was a little girl and she was the first person she was jewish she was funny and it was like I wonder if I could do that. Like, I w- how wonderful would it be to be that? But I had no idea how to get there. And in college, I had a minor breakdown one day because I had to figure out what I wanted to be. And I said, I, I finally came. I said, I'll be a comedian. And my friend goes, oh, that's great. She goes, how do you do that? I go, I have no idea. <laughs> and it took me 20 years to figure it out. I'll be mean, really honest with you. I had no idea how to start until kind of the computer came out and the internet and I could do some research. But I had no, I knew I could go to, to, catch a rising star i just was too afraid to go all by myself yeah and nobody in my life did i feel like i was too embarrassed to even tell a friend could we go there and check it out plus i lived in new jersey and you know not that you need a passport but it was it just you know it just didn't happen but uh, i i went in the 80s when i would watch tv and the big comedy boom i remember nursing my daughter watching um premium blend Mm -hmm. and saying i am funnier than them like and I had and you it. were you were funnier than a lot of them yeah. for sure and and I just said you know what I I, I I started shortly after that you know like not shortly my daughter was a baby I didn't start till not shortly I knew I could do it then but I didn't do it I started doing it you know when my daughter was was uh, fourteen and what year was that 
2002 or three. Yeah, so I was 2003. We yeah. really did start at like the same time yeah. and just kind of found each other. And then I had this show at the time at Therapy Lounge every Sunday night. And Robin the was best. my first headliner. Right, the I wasn't even a headliner. He called me a headliner. <laughs> I was the last comic of the night. That's well, but but to me, you were a headliner, and I had already seen you, and I knew how funny you were. And the thing about Robin is, you know, you had from the very beginning. I think from the first time you got on stage, you had your character, you had your voice. Most people spend ten years developing, like who who am I as a comedian? What do I? What's my thing? What's my shtick? And like you knew your shtick. You actually said to me early on, you said, you know what I like about you, Robin? She goes, you said every joke that you come up with has to fit the character. That's right. It's tossed out. And I never really thought of that until you said that. And it was like, you know, because I have, I have books of jokes and I can't use them all because they don't fit that person I am on stage. They That's right. So I'm really good. Like if, if you have something coming up and we'll be talking about it and you'll be wanting to write jokes, I'm very good at writing jokes for you. Right. I can I can easier write a joke for you t- right now probably than I could for myself. I'm the same way. When I when I'm listening to another comic, I always end up coming up to them afterwards. I'm sure they love this and saying, "Hey, I have a I have an <laughs> alternate punchline for you, or I have a tag for you," because for them listening to it, I'm like, "Oh, that's where it should have gone," but I can't do that for myself. You know, from, I'm, I'm, I'm in a dark room walking into walls a lot of the times. So I have no idea. But you are, I'm not kidding. I think the busiest comedian that I know. Shh. I mean, <laughs> you may not be you may not, not be a household radar. name. No. You may not be on TV every night, but you have gigs. I'm the funniest woman in my price range. That's really oh what it boils my, down but, to. But Joe Rivers used that line. And I was so pissed because I thought I thought of it and then I heard her <laughs> saying it. But I really am because, I mean, there aren't, I can work clean, not that I have to. Right. Um, but I can work clean and I appeal to a middle age and older crowd, you know, really well. I mean, I can do younger also, but there aren't a lot of women that can do that. I mean, there's some brilliant comics, but you can't you can't use them for those events. They're That's not right. So I can't get some like little 20 something blonde, big titted you know, millennial comic. She's not going to fly at the Elks. Talking about her little apartment and how she can't get the cum stain off the wall. It's not going to work at the at the. uh, Whatever place, the Temple Beth, you know, whatever. But you talk about life in the suburbs, being a wife, being a mom. This is all stuff that's relatable. What's really funny is last week I was invited to do a, a, a gig at by a comic. I get a lot of gigs from other comics uh, at a lake club. And I thought it was, they said it was a community club. for, a, And so I thought it was a plus 55 community. So I review my clean set, you know, that afternoon, and I kind of going over the jokes on my hour drive up there, and I get there, and it's like an Elks Club. It's a lake club. It's just like a community, a neighborhood thing. And the comedians were filthy. They were all up there talking about anal sex and shit, all kinds of stuff. And I started out in the gay rooms with, you know, like, you you know, that you had, and I started out at, you know, at Ha, which was a a really filthy, you know, filthy physically. Such a and, shitty yeah, club. But, you know, it still exists, I think. It keeps sh- changing location. Four shows a night for five years. It made me a good comic. I can't, it, it was disgusting, and you check your purse for roaches before you went home, but it was... And, like, the crowd would be, like, four German tourists who had been hoodwinked into into buying a, a $10 yeah. cover yeah. at Ha, because they were walking through Times Square, and someone handed them yeah, a Yeah, you flyer. haven't lived till somebody has said, show me your tits in another language. I mean, it's that's what that place was like. It was That was the, the place. Was like. But you know, what did you say? And somebody would translate. But no, I, I so I'm at this, this lake community, and everybody's being dirty, and I'm the headliner, and I have a clean set, like, programmed in my head. And you know, I don't know about you, Adam, but when I make up a joke on the spot, and it works... 
No, oh, it's the greatest it, feeling it's in the an world. Orgasm. It it's feels a, like a superpower. It's 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 you just because it doesn't come from inside you. It comes from somewhere above. It's like a, it's inspired. It's a, it's a comedy angel that yes, it's a comedy guardian angel has handed you this one. Mm-hmm. So I get up on stage and I was like a little nervous because they had just had this, you know, one one joke filthier than the next, and I'm going to talk about you know. My, you know, stupid stuff about, you know, the family. And so I get up, I go, I need to reboot because I thought this was going to be a clean show at a plus 55. So excuse me for a second while I get my head behind this. I go, shit, shit, fuck, cunt, <laughs> shit, fit, tits, asshole, <laughs> cunt. Nastiest. I don't think I said cunt the first. I just let it cunt. And I said, okay, I'm ready. And they went nuts because yeah. I had a, because when I came out, I was like, what is mom doing here? Right. You know, he's, you know so it was, you know, but. But I that's also, that. but that's also acknowledging the room. And acknowledging where you're at. And I feel like that's so important for comics. And even some great comics I know fail to do that. They fail to read what's going on at that moment that they get on stage. And you are always so good at that. You know exactly what they want from you at that moment. And that's what you give them. And I think that's a real, that's a unique talent. I think I've been doing that my whole life. As an outsider, always trying to figure out what I needed to be to be able to fit into a situation. So right. I get really rewarded in comedy. In life, not so much. But in comedy, you know. Because you're a pleaser. I'm a people pleaser. That's right. Absolutely. And uh, I used to be embarrassed by it, but I make a living from it now. So it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, and I also call myself a recovering narcissist. Now it's not so important what I want. You know, I kind of like I've chilled out a little bit about it. Yeah, well, hopefully that happens to all of us with age. Is yeah, that we start well, I got to that. I got the age. Realize we're not the only ones. <laughs> But you were always such a hit at therapy. I mean, I had you headline there more than anyone else. And I think it's interesting that gay, young gay men, I mean, they were like 20-somethings, responded so strongly to this middle-aged, straight, suburban housewife. Because nothing you were talking about... Oh, I pandered to them, Adam. You did, but but your stories had nothing to do with their lives. No, they're, they're, no. they're not married to some man in the suburbs with two kids. But But yet, there was something about you, and I don't know if it's that... You're an underdog, you're an outsider, you're, you know, you're... Um, you can't hate me any more than I look like I hate myself already. And that always... No, seriously, I mean, I really do think that makes me an underdog. And it's like, they're not going to put that on me because they know I'm already wearing that. You know, I feel that was part of it. But I also would come out and I would say things like, you know, so my name is Robin Fox, I'm a bottom. <laughs> and you know the guy, and then I'd say because I'm lazy, no other reason. You know, the, the bottom doesn't have to do quite as much or develop. You know, you know. Well, so there's a lot of work though that goes into deep breathing mostly. But you know, but you know, so I had a, you know that, that I kind of addressed, like you said, you know, the room. But the, you know, I just I loved that they loved me. That was really the truth. It was like such a head. Tr- like I, I, you know, other places I felt they were tolerating me. I yeah. had started out at the stress factory. You know, doing open mics with 20-year-old alpha males who humped the stool every night. And I didn't feel like there was a place for me there. And yet I showed up every week and tried to make these guys laugh. And event- and how I did it was I was filthy. That's You know, I just shocked them. I was the dirty, foul-mouthed. One guy, uh, the comedy cabaret, used to po- uh, book me as foul-mouthed funny mom. You're getting a lot of work with that. Sure. Um, and she. And by the way, compared to other comics, Robin is not particularly foul-mouthed. I'm clean now. I work completely yeah. clean. But I mean, even when you did a, ther- a set at therapy, I mean, some of your stuff was a little dirty, but you, you're not... You're not a dirty comic. No, I'm not. I'm not. You had a joke about spanking. You yeah. know, that was like as racy as, as it would yeah, get. Yeah, who's usually. a nasty bitch? Your mother. That was my big <laughs> line. You know, it's, it's, you know. So, well, tell tell uh, tell the listeners what you used to, your joke about uh, what it was like performing for a gay room and how all your friends would ask you. 
Oh yeah, right, yeah. What's it like? What's it like, Robin, to perform for the gay boys? It must be fun. What's it like? I go. It's just like any other comedy room. It's a room full of men. Nobody wants to fuck me. But I used to feel that way when I was there. I said, "This is like any other place. Nobody here wants to screw you, Robin." You know, I, you know, there's all this stuff going on. I, this is, uh, you know, with going, you know, with, with what's it like to be a female comedian in light of what happened with Louis C.K. And you know, I have to tell you, uh, very little sexual harassment happened to Robin Fox. Very little. Yeah, I'm, I want to ask you about that because you've been, as we said, you started late. And certainly you've witnessed a lot of sleazy, horrible, bad behavior, Tons. as I have. But but in terms of your experience, no one ever grabbed a boob. No one ever said, hey, suck my dick and I'll give you a spot. No, you no, no. It was a little insulting. You know, it was like I used to say, you know, you know, they. I used to say, you know, nobody has asked me to give me an indecent proposal. I said, you know, it's the, I, should I be happy about that? Should I take that as a compliment? You know, but not one, you know, and there was one guy who was notoriously, you know, suck my dick, you get a, a spot kind of guy. And I would see him and it was never brought up. It was like he was a total gentleman. <laughs> I was I was the buzzkill, by the way, of every alpha male room. Why is that? Um, I performed, like I said, at the Stress Factory, which was Alpha, and I was, they, they're all Alpha. What am I talking about? Um, and the Looney Bin the Looney Bin. Well, he was really great to me, but um, the Looney Bin, you know, I, there was a certain amount of misogyny, I mean, the, the, at, at every club, but, um, you know, by, my, by nature of my age, being older, I wasn't a 20-year-old hot chick with big tits, you know, I was the 40, 50-year-old woman, you know, most, you know, all that time, and I was a mom, so... And I was usually older than all the comics, so th there was a certain deference given to me, and also an unfuckability to the whole thing. Yeah. But um, I remember early on, um, I did a show, and I was being dirty at Broadway, and um, Bob Levy was there, and the Reverend Bob Levy, yeah. really filthy comic, and really nice man. And he saw me, and he came up to me, he goes, you are really funny. He goes, you, you could play my wife if I had a sitcom. And, he, and we talked about where we are going to be, and he said, come see me, and he was at the Comedy Cabaret, and I went, and he actually was very instrumental in getting me passed at that club. I performed for his rabid, rabid, you know, Following. All right kind of following. Yeah. They loved me. It was great. Um, and uh, I don't know if they're all right, but I'd say they were real alpha, crazy, sploogy kind of guys. And um, I passed. And then he said to me, uh, I'm going to put you under my wing. You know, he like he was really nice. He was so proud of me. He puts me in the headlock and he goes, put you under my wing. Gives you a nookie. And he goes, you know, the last time somebody was under my wing, do you know who was under my wing last? I go, I don't know who. He goes, Jim Florentine and oh my heart sang. I was like, oh Jim Florentine, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm going to get out of the shitty shitty shows and all this. Stuff. I was so excited. He told me about a tour he had going on, and um, I came to see him a few weeks later at an Elks Club, and I went backstage and the men were being men. You know, girls were coming back, show us your tits and da da da, and you know, drinking and debauchery. And Bob looked at me and I looked at Bob and I was like a buzzkill to the backstage for these guys. They wanted to be in a locker room. What is who let mom in here? Right, suddenly mom's in the who let mom in here. This there's going to be no fun with her around. And it was pretty much unspoken that I wasn't going on the tour, that this was no place for me. Oh. And so that's the kind of stuff wow. that happens to girls. So you're saying that even Bob, who was a good guy, Great guy. didn't want someone who was going to bust up the locker room. He could easier control me by not having me there than control these guys to act like, not act like Neanderthals. And that's what happens to women a lot of the time. It's like, you know, the men want to be, you know, Neanderthal. And if a woman's there, they're going to have to act like gentlemen, and we're going to ruin all their good fun. It's kind of like, Ryan, you know, when, when, when we're at the Eagle mm -hmm. or at some, like, dirty event, and all of a sudden you see a woman, and you're like, oh, God. Yeah, like, 
I don't want to get my dick sucked Did in front of a woman. Home? What are you, what are you, you doing, here? doing here? But but even if it's a young, you know, if it's a young woman, it's just like you don't belong here. Um, but as a woman, forget about comedy. As a woman, are you shocked by this wave of uh, of sexual misconduct? No. That we're all becoming aware of, or, or because I feel like women are like, yeah, no shit. But yeah. those of us who are guys are like, oh my god, we had yeah. no idea this was so pervasive. Listen, one in four women by the time they're 20 has had some kind of a sexual impropriety happen mm. to them. That that statistic has been around for like 30 years, even when I was younger. Um, it's horrible. And if, as a mother of a daughter and a son, I raised my son like, don't you ever act like a, like a pig. And my daughter uh, went off to college. And I, I, I don't know if you remember, I posted about this. My daughter was standing on a street corner in New York, bought a, bought a, bought a cup of coffee, and said out loud, oh, I forgot the cream. And a man next to her said, I'd be happy to put some cream in there. And he was like 50 Ugh. years old. And she like was, I mean, nauseous from the whole thing. Sure. But this is like, you know, this is, you know, this is how men are pigs. No offense. I mean, I. No, we how, are. But, you know, and my, my son the other day was defending men. He goes, listen, our dog Sammy's a wonderful little dog. Everybody loves him. But you put him around a female dog, he acts like an animal. And, you know, our men, I said, but you're not an animal, Aaron. You know, you don't want to be that. And he says, no, I don't. But I think some men just, they're their biology and they do not have any control over themselves. Here's what I think happens. And I think I've been guilty of this too. I think men, some men, get so turned on that they they become unaware that the other person in the room is not turned on. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we, yes. it's so our the feeling of lust is so overwhelming to us that we just assume that oh, if if I'm attracted to you, you must be yeah. feeling that too because it's so powerful and it's a it's a total misjudgment and misreading of the situation. So in the case of Louis C.K. taking his dick out in front of these women, I mean, an observer in that room could probably tell very easily that these women were not into it. But in his mind, he's thinking like, yeah, they want it and I'm going to sh show it to them. But even the question, you mind if I take my dick out? <laughs> Just the question is so fucking in inappropriate. I agree. On what right. planet is, would you mind if I take, it's not like, would you mind if I smoke? Yeah. Would you mind? You know, it's not an appropriate question. I know, and I love the guys on Facebook defending him saying, well, he asked. No, oh, the yeah. asking is a problem. <laughs> it's just not, you know, and we don't want to see your dick. When we're naked and, you know, and we're, then get, take your dick out, you know. If it, what, and even then, don't ask, like if you're, if, if that's the, the setting, if you're in a, in a bedroom, then uh, it's a little bit different. And by the way, women don't like, seriously, like when we get, uh, get you know, turned on in our head, it's, it's usually not looking at your dick. <laughs> it's not your dick that's really done it for I've us. I've heard this. Yeah. yeah. Most it's usually your eyes. It's the way you 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 make us feel. Your sense of humor, your yeah. kindness, your you're hot. You know, there's just a hotness to you, but it's not your raging, throbbing member that's really making me like lose my mind. Yeah, As a matter of fact, it, that's an obstacle I have to work around. <laughs> it's all about the penis for me. Yeah. No, I mean, I I agree with you, and I think if a woman ever just said to a guy, like if they're just sitting in a room together, and she just said, "Hey, do you mind if I finger myself?" Like I think most guys would be pretty freaked out. It would just be so inappropriate, but somehow a man thinks it's okay to just take his dick out. It's really no different than a, than a subway flasher, is what Louis C.K. That's did. what he is. And there was a study done that they said that you know they've studied men who flash in subways. You know, because you know we can talk about all we want, but there's actually people. Their job has been to study these mutants, and they've discovered that what it is is it's a um, an act of aggression. Yes. For a resentment 
and an anger at women. That's right. I'm going to make so you uncomfortable. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. And I think, so what does Louis have to be upset about with women? Well, first of all, two women went up to the room together. They didn't go, it wasn't one, you know, it was two girls. They thought they might be safe because, you know, you don't expect them to say that in front of two people. But the thing is, is that what would Louis have to be upset about? What, that you would only come up because I could maybe further your career? Maybe there's some anger there. Maybe there's anger that, you know, I'm an unattractive Just being an unattractive guy. That you wouldn't, sure. want, you wouldn't be here under those circumstances. So this is, this is what I'm going to give you for or that. Or he could have had mommy issues. I mean, who knows? There's all kinds of reasons why people are Self-hating angry. for sure. Yeah. Robin, we just have a couple minutes left and we need to play my favorite game, Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. This is when I shoot questions at you and you answer them off the top of your head. Okay, here, we go. here we go. What do you wear to sleep? I wear like an ugly pair of flannel pajamas. That's hot. Yeah, I know. What was your worst gig ever? My worst gig ever. Oh, that's hard. Oh, I, used car salesman performing with no lighting on the stage in the dark where they couldn't see me and everybody for 45 minutes ignored me. I just performed like a pantomime act and uh, I got paid $1,500 and the whole time I kept on saying, I'm going to leave here and tomorrow I'm buying myself a Louis Vuitton pocketbook. It's sitting on the thing there. Nice. So I got through it. My worst gig ever was with you. Oh, in the restaurant. With Hoopachoo in yes. that restaurant in Rockland County for those watched, horrible women. And by the way, Adam, I learned something. You never perform while people are eating. Never? Never. Um, what food will you never put in your mouth? Sugar. Ever. Oh, this is the new One, Robin, by the way. Two and a half years. Robin. Yeah. Robin lost a good deal of weight. Yeah, good for you. What is your favorite movie? Oh, uh, it used to be North by Northwest, but now it feels dated. And uh, Hitchcock. Yeah, I used to love that. Um, I, I really don't. My favorite movie? I think Goodfellas. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I like a good. I, I like. I like where like. I, I, I There's a, an, a rage in me that I like to see people get whacked and you know get. I like that. I like that. You know the rep. I, I don't know what's the word. Um. I, I just. I don't know. There's something about that movie. So you were must have been a fan of The Sopranos. Oh yeah, big time. I uh, like Goodfellas, but I, I I love The Sopranos. I think that that was. Such just monumental storytelling and wonderful performances loved it. by. Um, by James Gandolfini and um, what's her face was Edie just, Falco. Edie Falco was really just remarkably good. It was a great show in that show. Um, what is your dream gig? Television uh, to be on uh, Colbert. To, just to do to do to stand up on Colbert. To, be, to do stand up. On That's television. it. Yeah, just want, I want to be a stand up. I don't really, you know. I mean, you know, it's not about being famous or anything. I just would like to. I, I want. You know, anybody can call themselves a comedian. Being on Colbert makes it true. You know? See, I don't think that's true anymore. I think back when we were, were even before we did stand-up, I think late-night shows were... Oh, they're not as they're not like Carson. That was how you knew you made it, right? When you were on Carson, when you were on Letterman. I feel like we know a lot of people who have done late-night TV. Oh, yeah. And nobody knows who they are, and their careers didn't get any better. I think it kind of doesn't matter anymore. Because the TV audience is so fragmented. fragmented that you've got maybe a million people watching Colbert. You used to have, you know, 30 million watching Carson. I just would like to be more, I would, I would, I would like the, the, um, the badge, you know, yeah. like, you know, like the merit badge that I've done that. I, I don't know. I just want something to affirm that I'm a, 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 a working comic. I think the fact that you work, what is it? 300 nights a year that you make a Not very good living. I do. I, I mean, a really good living. Like, you've bought homes and cars with what you've made from stand-up. I'm sorry, but that's true. You you are in demand. And the fact that, like, you're not a household name, who gives a shit? Honestly. 
Yeah, I you know it just you know what bothered me. I watched a podcast recently and somebody mentioned my name and it was a well known comic and they and they say they go you know Robin Fox he goes Who, who's that and that kind of bothered me because I mean I feel like I would really like to be part of the you know the fraternity sorority of of comedy. I mean I think really what the the dream gig would be is to be a regular at the cellar. That would really be. We were talking about that last week with Rick Chrome. I think I was that's really trying to it. explain the importance of the comedy cellar. I would love to just do a spot there. But you know, it's 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 really about winning the lottery. It's not about how good you are, or how hard you work, and demographics. Let's be Demogra- honest. Abs- you and I are yeah. both not the demographic that the comedy cellar. comedy club owners and bookers want. Yeah, well, and you know, it's and a that's woman just owns, the reality a woman, of it. A Jewish woman owns that club. You would think maybe they'd want one. You know, but Ugh, we eat our own. Yeah. Um, Robin, I want to thank you so much Aww. for coming on our show. How can people follow you on social media? Um, that's a good question because I am totally not good at that stuff. I'm on I'm on Facebook, Robin Fox, and I uh, have a website, robinfoxcomedy.com. Um, somehow or other on Twitter, you got to Google it. I don't know. I really you don't know your own Twitter. I don't know my own Twitter because this bird doesn't tweet. I don't. <laughs> I don't get Twitter. I really don't. I feel like you even now are not really so into the social media thing. Like you're not. You don't have a, a a YouTube channel where you're constantly posting videos of yourself, like no, you know, I, I, that's some too of the much people work. we know. That's too much work. I, I truly you're too to, busy too. I'm working a lot. I'm trying to I'm trying to write a screenplay, which is like really horribly hard, and when, and you know, or at least get it down in novel form so I can you know collaborate with somebody. So that's I'm looking for the big thing you know to, I'm not, the, good for you that you're writing a screenplay it's this that robin plus one expanded that it's a blog that i did years ago about going to a wedding that i didn't belong at so it's it's a it's it's exciting but it's upsetting because i don't know if i'll be able to do it you know i, I really don't and i'll be very it'll be my great defeat if i don't all so. you can do is try yeah. i have been a fan of yours since day one i love you well, i, I love wish you, you continued success i hope we get to work together again soon you're all grown up now adam i knew you were a little uh, boy we're both kind of old yeah now. i'm grandma robin i used to be the funniest the mother of all i'm gonna be the grandmother of all That's right. very soon. in the time remaining i just want to say again to jb how much I love you and will miss you. This is JB's last show as oh, our intern. Good luck. And he's been with us for five months. And I think you've been such an important part of the show, honestly. I don't, that, that means a lot. Thank you. I, I'm, ter- I'm tearing. Loki hockey. And I'm a pain in the ass because I demand ridiculous amounts of sound bites and sound effects. And you are just were always so on it. You just hit it like every time. And when you added uh, your voice to the conversation. It was always funny and interesting and you gave a fresh perspective. So I'm just really grateful to have had you here and I think you are going to go on and do great things with your life. I was hoping you would cry. <laughs> <laughs> this makes for good radio. So uh, let's give it up for JB, everyone. Good luck. And can, will you keep in touch? Will you let us know what you're doing? Of course. Of Come course. back on the show in a few months. Give us a little life update. Yes. A little dick here and there. Got it. Tell us what's going on with the bisexual boyfriend. Oh, yes. Beautiful things. <laughs> and that is our ass for today. Uh, tune in next week when my co host will be Entertainment Weekly editor Henry Goldblatt. I want to thank Ryan Frostig and everybody else. I love you all. Have a great week, bitches. <laughs>